Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love and your kindness. Jesus, we believe that at the sound of your great name, Lord, that that we were healed, that we were given life. Jesus, your name above all names is to be treasured and honored. And so, Lord, help us this morning as we open your word to see you as you are. Lord, that your word would be authoritative in our life, would be the source of all truth. And, Lord, we live in a world that is just pressing in on us so much that is false. So, Lord, would you, would you help us to make your word the standard in which we see all things, to push away all the other, that we might see you as you are and worship you and honor you. Father, we love you and pray you would, you would bless this time. And, Lord, I, I pray that you would use me. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week we had a, a distinct privilege to have Sam Stevens with us. Um, if you weren't here last week, Sam is the president of the India Gospel League. They've planted over 80,000 churches since 1992. And not that numbers mean everything, but that's just a crazy number. Am, am I wrong? I mean, it's astonishing what God is doing in rural villages in India. And one of the things that <clears throat> I said to Sam, just so you know a little bit about me, um, I, I've, been, I've been able to travel uh, in a lot of places all over the world. I've been to South America, Latin America. Um, I've been to Europe. I've been to Asia multiple times to all those places. And one of the things that I noticed is every country that I went to, we would go in and they would say, and I remember the first country I went to, they said uh, like five minutes before the sermon, they, they leaned over and they said, Ryan, you're preaching today. And I was like, oh, crap, I have to do this right now. Uh, I don't think I should have said that. And so, uh, uh, sorry, little children, don't say that. And so uh, it was like this moment of like, oh my goodness, what do I do, right? And so I did something and I'm sure it was fine. The Lord used it. Um, But then I'd go to another country and I was always an honored guest and given the platform. And then I noticed when we'd host missionaries here in the U.S., we gave them two minutes of a service and said, keep on doing the good work. And I always found it odd. Um, We'd go over and train in discipleship, yet they were giving their life for Jesus. And it just seemed like there was something, I always felt this tension of, I think I need to learn from you more than you need to learn from me. Are you with me? I don't know. That was just my lens into that world. And so One of the reasons that when I had the opportunity to have Sam come, one is just a deep conviction that we need to learn from people that are doing this great work, the movement of the church, and in some of the most dangerous and difficult places in the world. And it was, so it was a real blessing to be able to have Sam, and we will have that more, just so you know, because, um, you know, one day we might have an interpreter come, right? In every country I've ever been to, I, they have had to endure an interpreter um, through me. So who knows what they said? They were probably like at the end of it, I said I was tickled pink and they were like, he has a terrible rash. I don't know what they, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I probably used some ridiculous phrase, you know, um, 
or his joke with translation, never say it's raining cats and dogs because they don't know what that means. They're like, this guy's weird. There's cats and dogs that fall from the sky in this country. So, uh, so anyway, we, we're going to do that more. But, but I, I believe that there was a word for us. Um, I always believe there is when God's word is spoken. But last week he read from Revelation 3. Can we go back just for a moment? Let's not move too fast from that. And so I'm just going to read this, what he read. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. And that's the phrase that I I just want us to focus on. One of the things he really focused on last week was wake up. It reminded me of Romans 13. Paul says, um, wake up from your slumber. The night is nearly over. The day is almost come. Lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I believe that is a, a, a passage that God is constantly speaking into his church. Wake up from your slumber. The night is nearly over. There's an eternal work to be a part of. Lay aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. There's a seek righteousness. Reject that which is evil. But, but here, the, I believe last week what he said is he, in many ways, opened our eyes to see maybe some of the problem. But, but I just wanted to tell you briefly this morning, there is a solution. And the solution is to strengthen what remains. And so wherever you find yourself in your life, what has God given you? What truth, what has he revealed? And what I would encourage you with this morning, your next step in the faith is strengthening what remains, what he has given, strengthen it, grow in your faith, even if it's a little bit, the faith of a mustard seed, it can move them out, even if it's a little bit, continue in that faith, and one of the ways that we, we want to do that here is to continue to be faithful, I have no idea what that was, oh, there we go, my tear off, um, one of the ways that we do that, if you may have got this in the mail, a letter from me about um, something we're going to start this, this Sunday, and there's two things that I just ask you to do this Sunday in regards to this. But one of the things that we want to do is strengthen what remains is God hasn't opened every door to the nations for us. We believe that in one way he has by making disciples. But God has given us specific relationships in specific countries and locally with specific people to do his work. And what we want to do is strengthen what remains even in those partnerships of being faithful with what he's given. So we believe in giving in two ways. One, we believe that the tithes and offerings that you give every week and which we're so grateful for allow the church and allow us to continue to move forward, continue to take steps with the missionary that we annually give to, monthly give to, to the ministries and the work that God is doing here. Um, Your tithes and offerings do that, but there's this other kind of giving, and this is a sacrificial giving. This is a giving of above and beyond, and that's what this, your insert, does. And we believe that God has connected us with Cuba, with Thailand, with uh, Cuba, Thailand, um, Guatemala, and many other countries, but really specifically, there's some needs here. And so what I ask you to do is first just to pray. Pray what God would have you to do. And that might be your children, that's you. Pray as families together of how God would have you kind of get in the game above and beyond, strengthening what remains of of engagement in these partnerships. And so I know, I don't know about you, but as I talk about this with my kids, they don't see things quite the same way. You know, if they have $50, they're like, I got 50 bucks, let's do it, right? They're just going to give to it, which there's something terrible about that and something very awesome, right? One is I think they're just going to be broke their whole life because they're just going to keep giving their money away to everything that comes their way. There's something very beautiful of that. Their hearts are very pure in giving, Right? And so in that, I just ask that you would pray as a family to see what God would have you to be a part of. 
So you can, you know, there, there's, there's dollar amounts as small as $7 to support a seminary student for a day. Um, and then there's other greater ways. The Citizens Akron, the church plan that we're going to be a part of in Akron that we're going to launch out of here um, late this year. Next Sunday, you're going to hear a ton about that. And you're going to hear about all of these in the next weeks and months ahead. But, but as, we, as we engage in this, you, you could say, I'm going to write a $25,000 check today. Hint. Uh, no, uh... <laughs> Or you're going to give $50 to that. The beauty of this offering is we've kind of set some numbers and some tangible things here. But one of the things is I just don't really believe in gimmicks. This isn't a gimmick. Every penny that you give to this is going to go directly to meet these needs. And if we only get $7 for Cuba, that's great. There's a seminary student that's going to be in Cuba for one day that wouldn't have been. And so whatever way that God leads you to give toward this, we're going to celebrate it. Because this is God's great work that he's doing in our lives. And so, so I encourage you to... To give to this, and you're going to hear a lot more about it in the days ahead. Um, but thank you already for your generosity. Let's pray together over this that God would use it in the days ahead in the lives of all those that we reach out toward. Father, we thank you for just the privilege we have to engage in these international and local partnerships. Lord, there's even more that extend beyond this, but we just really believe specifically these are the places that we can tangibly give toward to see to see genuine true impact happen from a child having food in Thailand to a student being able to be trained in Cuba to a home being safe and not filled with smoke in Guatemala or to locally being able to give someone in need groceries or to, to being able to to engage in helping a, someone whose home is is not up to standard and, and hard for them to live in, to all kinds of other things. Lord, even to be able to be a part of planting your church and seeing your church move into places it's not, like Akron and beyond. Lord, would you move our hearts and compel us to give, Lord, by the, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, I pray that over each and every person here, that Lord, as you, would, as you would lead each of us, help us to be faithful. If that's an extreme gift or something that's just all that we can, Lord, we, we just ask that you would help us to be faithful, and in this we will glorify you. Lord, we want to be a part of a church that's alive and awake. And we know that happens through devotion with you, but it also happens as we let go of our resources and give toward your eternal work. So help us to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 5, 21 through 43 is where we'll be reading this morning. Matthew 5, 21 through 43. Um, this is the end of our miraculous series that we're doing in the book of Mark. And the book of Mark, we're, we've been going through the book of Mark here for a while now. And in this section, we're going to see a group of miracles. And this group of miracles, as Mark kind of extracts them and writes them into this section, as, in this group of miracles, Jesus is going to show that he is Lord of all. He's done, kind of prior to this, he's done all kinds of teachings and he's, he's 
been showing that he, he can do miracles, he can heal, he can do all, do all these things, and he has, he has all these teachings, and then comes this miracle section. And in this miracle section, what happens first is they get in, Jesus is pressed by the crowds, they get in a boat, they go across the sea, in the midst of a storm, and the winds and the waves crashing, Jesus is asleep on the boat. They run to Jesus, they wake him up, and Jesus, in a word, speaks, and the wind and the waves go silent. And then they look at Jesus, they look at each other, and they say, who is this man? Which is honestly a really great phrase for this section on miracles, because in every place he goes, that's going to be the number one question people ask. This is what they say. Who is this man? It's the most important question that any of us in this room will answer. Who is Jesus? See, he is who he is. The question is, do you believe him to be who he is? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? He'll go across, he'll get out of the boat. Immediately a man who is possessed by demons comes to him and he recognizes who Jesus is. He falls down before him and in these moments what Jesus does is he casts out the demons into this large group of hogs and these hogs go and they fall off the cliff and they die. And in this moment, the, Jesus heals this man, and he shows that he is Lord over not just the wind and the waves, but he's Lord over the spiritual realm. That even the things that we cannot see, that we cannot even grasp the wickedness and the evil of a, over our eyes, that he is powerful over all the wickedness, all of the things that are in the unseen eye of this world. And then this text now, it leads into where we're at. They're going to get in a boat. And so in that moment, when he's across there, he casts the demon out. All the people say, whoa, whoa, whoa what's up with this guy? Like, he's, he, he caused all these hogs to die. He's going to ruin our business. I'm, I'm concerned about him. And they said, leave from here. And you really have kind of a tale of two sides of the lake, right? On one side, one side of the sea which is actually more like a lake. On one side of the sea, what will happen is they reject him. On the other side, he's pressed in. Everybody wants to get close to Jesus. And so what happens is we go back to the other side. Verse 21 through 43 says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. And he went with him. Kind of pause there for a moment. And so the beginning of this scene, and what's going to happen in this text, just to set it up, is there's kind of like three scenes or three interactions with people. The first is Jairus, the father of a little girl who's dying. The second is a woman who's had a hemorrhage for 12 years. And the third is Jesus and the little daughter and her parents. And in these three sections, we're going to see something common. One, Jesus is going to totally, totally obliterate Jewish law. He's going to allow a man, if a woman who was hemorrhaging for this amount of time would would touch him, there would have been ceremonial cleansing that he would have had to do over and over. He touches the dead, which is another whole issue they would have had in their law. We even see this before. Jesus is messing with pigs, right? I mean, Jesus is constantly in this section of saying, what you think religion is, what you think is all this, I'm telling you, I have come and there's something far greater. 
that, that the law was just a picture, a shadow of what was to come. I am the coming of. I am the completion of the law. I am the fulfillment. And I'm about to show you what is true. And so in this, we see in this first section that Jairus, this man who comes, his father, we see the neediness, the first thing, the neediness, the recognition of, of our neediness. So the setting, these people are pressing in all around Jesus. Jairus, this synagogue ruler. Now, there's a tale of kind of two parts of society in this too. The woman, the hemorrhage would have been, we'll see in a minute, she'd, she was the poor of the poor. And we see the rich of the rich. And just so we're clear, whether you're poor or rich, everyone has the same need. One of the keys of this text is there is none of us in this room without need. Whether it's the beginning, the middle, or end of life, we are always a needy, needy people. And Jairus comes to Jesus in need. So he's a ruler. He has high status. He has snobbish associations. Right? He rejects a certain group of people and he is exalted above them. But he was desperate and he was a leader and he humbled and he bowed himself down before someone who would have been much lower than himself. Jesus wasn't an official of any type. Jairus had infant faith and it was about to grow. And Jesus responded to him. And his simple faith and invited and, and went with him, and he was on his way to his house. Now, just to pause for a second in this, there's a neediness inside of each of us. There's a neediness. And I think oftentimes in our world, when we think of someone who is needy, we think of someone who is weak, right? Someone who is desperately needy is someone who is weak. And someone who is strong needs nothing. I would say that is actually completely false. And it doesn't work out to be true for any of us in our own lives. I remember when Deb was pregnant with Kinsley for the first time. And we came to, for the first time, because she was pregnant with her multiple times. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, immaculate. So, uh, so I, I remember we were so excited. And then all of a sudden, it was a Saturday night and through a Sunday. And we went to the doctor on Monday and we thought we'd lost her. And I remember sitting in our guest room trying not to show my emotions to my wife and just weeping because I thought we'd lost our baby. I had no control. And really, my children have been one of those places in my life that have shown me that the most. I, I have no control. And I really like control. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Do you like control? I love it. But I don't have any. And then as we go through life, we're really fooled to think that we're ever in control of our circumstances or situations. There's a God far be above us and far beyond us that sees all things and knows all things. And we're really showing ourselves to be fools if we ever act as though we are not needy. See, the reason we come to a place, I think, oftentimes in our life as Christians where we don't think we're needy is it's really at the heart of the gospel. We say things around here all the time like that we should live gospel-centered lives. So the idea of that would be simply like this, is that say the gospel is my fist, the cross. And my fist, the cross, is this thing when I first come to know Jesus, I am, I am confronted with the cross, that I am a sinner, that Jesus came and died on the cross to redeem me from my sins, to set me free. 
And as I look at the cross, I see his compassion and his kindness and his mercy before my eyes. And what do I do? I bow down and I worship him and I recognize that he is the Lord. He is my creator. And as I look at the cross, I begin to love him and worship him and adore him for the first time in my life. But what happens as we move in our faith is sometimes these things, they call them other affections, they begin to creep up in our life. And the cross begins to move over. And I think, you know, like Jesus is good, but I really need money. You know, Jesus is in control, but not of my kids. I'm in control. What happens is Jesus begins to move the peripheral of our lives. And so when we're saying living like a gospel-centered life, it's seeing everything. My kids, my family, my, my job, my neighborhood, my city, my life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Death, burial, resurrection on the cross, seeing him high and exalted. And when I see him, I recognize I I am a needy, needy man. But when I lose sight of Jesus, what I do and I tend to do, are you with me? Anybody else? I tend to take things up and start thinking I'm strong. I can handle this on my own. And I've just come to the conclusion in my own life that I can't. That was really my story of coming to faith, was coming to a place in my life of saying, I stink at running my life, and I need a Lord that takes over, that rules and reigns, because Ryan Johnston ruling and reigning, it's just pretty terrible. And just so you know, you're pretty terrible at ruling and reigning over your own life. You need a Lord, you need a Savior, one who knows that is far above us and far beyond us. And what Jairus knew is that in this moment, and don't miss this moment, it's a mom, it's a dad who's about to lose his daughter. There's a real human moment in this. And he is in desperation. I mean, we got a little girl with an earache, right? And if I could just relieve it in a second, I would. I don't even have a a little girl at the edge of death. And in this moment at the edge of death, this father goes to the only one that he knows that can bring healing to Jesus. So the recognition of our neediness, there's a, there's a real humanity, a, 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 real, it's a real honest moment in this text of a, of a father who is needy. So the next thing that we see, and let's read on, says, and a great crowd followed him. And so now they've left and they've went and a great crowd followed him. So Jesus has a great, great cloud about him. They thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Now, in this moment, don't miss what's happening with this lady. There was a, a lady that she had had 12 years of, of hemorrhaging. And in this time, she had, what? She had gone to all kinds of doctors and she had spent everything that she had. And so she was destitute, broken, poor. And so she went to physicians And physicians at that time would not have been quite how we would think about them today. It would have been superstition and possibly mixed with brutality. And so this woman had given all of her hopes and she was trying to be cured. And it was as silly of things as stand at the crossroads and let someone come up behind you and scare you that you might stop. It was that kind of ridiculous. Or drink this potion or do this. These were the things, the remedies for this condition in that day. She had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, 
but grew worse. This woman was hopeless. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. There's a, in Isaiah, it says that we will be healed by his wings. There's this moment in this, what Jesus' robe would have looked like that she reached out, what she grabbed his, touched his wings. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So not only do we see Jairus in this recognition of neediness, but the power of belief. The power of belief in Jesus. Jesus and this woman have this encounter And again, just to go through it, he's walking through the crowds, and she'd been suffering for 12 years under physicians and spent all that she had. She was worse. And she came up behind him, touched his garments, and she was healed. And she says, even if I touch him, I will be made well. Faith at all levels is amazing. So don't, don't miss this. Believing in the capacity of what Jesus can do. And this is a text that presses into us. But what do you believe that Jesus can do in your life? We'll talk in a moment about the greatest miracle that Jesus can truly ever do. But in your situation, what do you believe that he is capable of doing? What he allows and what he wills is something completely different. But what do you believe that he is capable of? This woman believed he was capable of healing. Immediately, the hemorrhage stopped and she was healed. Jesus, recognizing all things, felt healing come from himself. And he sought her out. And notice there's a difference here between pressing into Jesus and reaching out and touching Jesus. I believe that in the Christian world that we live in, a lot of people press in, but very few people reach out and touch. It's reaching out and touching, believing that he can do something significant in my life. And so pressing in might be a Sunday kind of faith. Like, I want to press in around. I I I think he'll be helpful at some level in my life. But reaching out and touching is something completely different. I think this is something we should note because personal touch is in both of these miracles. And personal touch is something we desperately need from him. One, for him to reach out and touch us. And two, for us to reach out and touch him. To act in our volition, to move toward the one who redeems. And she did this. What do we see happen? The, the, the disciples are perplexed. And so she, she falls down before him, and he replies, Daughter, you are healed. Go in peace. And notice the language in this. This isn't, you know, woman. You've totally manipulated my power. You've done something out of what I could handle. I'm mad at you. This isn't his response. He says, Daughter, you are no longer at war with your body, And you are no longer at war with me. She is healed. And so ladies in the room to hear this, that if you are redeemed, you are a daughter 
of the Heavenly Father, meaning that all of the Heavenly Father's resources are available to you. And I know this might be something like we say over and over in church. It is one of the most significant identifying markers of the believer, of recognizing daughterhood and sonship in the Father, that men in this room, if you are redeemed by him, you are a son, a child of God, and your resources, all that he has is available to you. So if you struggle with identity, if you struggle with self-worth, just so you know, the, the God, most high, Father in heaven, deems you as a child, and he loves you, and he is available for you. And so, most of our battle is appropriating that which is already true. Believing that which he has already deemed true. The lies that we'll hear in this world is I'm not sufficient. I don't have enough resources. I'm not loved. I'm not cared for. You are loved. You are cared for because you are his daughter. You are his son. And in him is sufficient for all things. So this woman represents in some ways all of us. We have an illness we cannot shake or get rid of, but it's caused us more harm and damage than we can even think or dream. And we continue to try all kinds of remedies. And we do this all the time, all kinds of remedies for our sin. We try to find the applause of men to somehow find some sort of self-worth. For people to say, hey, you're good enough. You're, you're really significant. You've done great work on this project. We try to make money. We try to have perfect families. We try to do all kinds of things to make ourselves right with the Father, to live at peace. But we are just like this woman. There is no remedy other than salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ that we can truly and genuinely have healing in our lives. We are more like this woman than we would ever think or dream. And we perpetuate it all the time in our lives. There's only one remedy and that remedy is received by faith. And this woman received her remedy by faith. And so can you and I. So the third thing we see is Jesus in the family. Here in verse 35, he continues. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And so in this moment, these men, these other kind of high officials come to Jesus and uh, come to the man, they said, she's, she's dead. And then she says to, then they say to Jairus, hey, why even bother yourself? There's almost a sense in this, like they're already kind of annoyed that he went to Jesus. And now they're like, why are you troubling this teacher with this anymore? So it continues. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Great phrase, underline it. Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Here we see Jesus in discipleship, taking his very inner circle into seeing one of the most intimate miracles that he will do. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So now the scene, you have the mother and father and Jesus. 
Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, rise. And another way that that's translated, what, what, what Jesus is saying is, little lamb, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So here, in this section, we, we've seen that there's a neediness, there's faith, and there's endless possibilities with Jesus. The news had come again that she died. They, just, they, they replied, don't, don't bother yourself with this Jesus anymore. It's hopeless. Just so you know, you're never going to trouble Jesus with your problems, with where you're at. He's always there. He wants to meet you in it. And then he says, do not fear, only believe. Three disciples go with them. The people are weeping and wailing. Death is all around. And don't encourage you, don't... don't See the scriptures in, in light of maybe even your own life. I mean, have you ever been in that moment where you've experienced extreme loss and everyone around is weeping? I have. I, I've, I have a lot. There's something that you can't help, but even when you walk into the room, talk to one of our members, his dad passed away suddenly Friday night. In the phone call on Saturday morning, I was weeping on the phone with him. Why? Because there's just something in that moment so incredibly sad. And this is one of those moments where Jesus walks in and everyone's so sad, 12 years old, so much more life, so much more to do, so much unseen, so much not lived. And Jesus asked, why are you so upset? I mean, is this not a peculiar little moment? I remember this pastor came in when my brother was sick, and he said all kinds of ridiculous things, and I kind of wanted to punch him in the face. I'm not going to lie. He kind of just said some things that weren't very comforting and started telling the stories about his own life, and we're all sitting there like, what are you doing? Like, why are you standing in here? So Jesus kind of almost does this in this moment, but we know it's okay because Jesus is about to do something super amazing, right? But it's this moment where he says this very peculiar thing. Why are you so upset? And I believe there's something that's happening here that, Jesus is making it really clear. He knows what he's about to do, and he's about to show everyone how miraculous this is. And Jesus is not living in the present, but he's living in knowing what the future will become. They laugh at him. So this girl is dead. She is gone. And he takes the parents in, and he touches her. Personal touch. It's always one of the most astonishing things in seeing Jesus in these texts. He doesn't just kind of wave some magic wand, but he is personal and touching. I, I don't know about you, but he has been personal in touching my heart and my life and bringing healing and resurrection to this man. And he says, arise, my little lamb, or little girl, arise. And she immediately got up, and it's one of these messianic secret things. He says, don't tell anyone, which is one of the most perplexing things about Jesus. And there's multiple reasons why. This one's very peculiar because I'm pretty sure everyone's going to know that she rose from the dead. But it's this moment where Jesus says, and I think part of it was so he could depart and his time had not come yet to be crucified. Is this the Jesus that you see? 
Jesus, one who is tender, yet excessively powerful, to do the unthinkable, the unimaginable, in the darkest and in the time of greatest trial, that Jesus is one coming in with compassion. And I believe that in this text, there's really three miracles. The first miracle is a woman who touches the wings of her Savior and is healed. The second is a little girl that is resurrected from the dead. And the third is two parents who are deeply heartbroken and in which he shows compassion towards. And in them, healing comes as much as it did anyone else. And in this, this, this miracle, Jesus is tender, yet he is powerful. He has compassion on the woman. He has compassion on the girl. And he has compassion on the parents. Yet he has the ability to heal the sick. He has the ability to raise the dead. He has the ability to comfort the heart in a way that the heart cannot be comforted without him. Do you see Jesus correctly as the one who is tender and powerful? You see, there's a connection in all of this text that is desperately needed by any of us because although this woman was healed, she is not going to live forever. And although this little girl is raised from the dead, she is not going to live forever on this earth. And although his parents had compassion given to them that heartache could be escaped in that moment, I promise you they had heartache again. There is all kinds of remedies and things that he will do in this present age, but this is not the miracle of miracles. The true and greatest miracle of all is salvation is that one person, that a man or a woman can be freed from the captivity of their sin and set free forever to worship an eternity with him in heaven. Because see, in heaven, he has prepared a place before us. There is no death, there is no sickness, there is no abortion, there is no rape, there is no confusion of identity, there is nothing but worshiping the God that made us and created us and being separated from this world and that is that in so many ways we are bound to our flesh, but a place where we, were, we are set free. But the only way is to bow down to him as Lord and Savior, and to be forgiven of our sins. This is the true miracle of miracles. And inside of this text, what we see is a present reality of the brokenness of this world, and Jesus living amongst it and bringing healing, and we see his power and his compassion. But if you're looking at this text to see what the possibilities are of him in this world, you can see that, but there's a greater possibility that this is expressing. And the greater possibility that it's expressing is that there in him, through faith, we can genuinely and truly be set free from our sin. See, Jesus is Lord. He is capable of healing. He is capable of resurrection. And he is capable of forgiveness. Have you received forgiveness from him? Have you received the healing that is from him? I believe that as we began, we conclude today, Jesus says, the scriptures say, wake up from your slumber. The night is nearly over. The day has almost come. Lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The big question that this text asks is, and what we see in these people is one common thing through each one of them. It's faith. Believing that he is capable of the impossible that I am never without hope, that his hand is never far from me. He is with me. 
But if I do not have faith, I do not have access to his power, to his strength, and to his ability. Why did Mark pull out these stories? One, to show significant faith. But the greatest faith that will truly heal us is the faith that saves. So this morning, if you have never given your life to Christ, I would charge you this, to turn, repent of your sin, and make Jesus Lord of your life. Bow down. Simply, the illustration I would use is like this, that Ryan Johnston, before I came to know Jesus, I ruled and reigned. I called the shots. Whatever I wanted to do, I did. Making Jesus Lord is simply bowing my knee down and saying, I'm done. Jesus, you are Lord, and I no longer call the shots, but you do. Make me a student of your word. Teach me your truth. Help me to live by your truth, not by the truth and the garbage this world sends my way, but by you and your truth that you have revealed to me in your word. And so for everyone who has bowed their knee to Jesus, you have to deal with compassion, mercy, and justice, gospel witness, disciple making, obedience to him. Because simply, when I bow my knee down to him, I am recognizing that I cannot save myself, that I have a Lord, I have a Savior, Jesus, who came, died, rose from the dead, he sits on high, he rules and reigns over everything, and I am astonished that he has done this for me. And I bow my knee down before him and say, take my life and use it for your will and your purposes. There is no halfway. He gets part, and I get part. He's asking for us to submit. So if you've never done that today, I just encourage you to come needy because we are and bow your life before him. Place your faith in him and believe and continue to believe that in your Savior, there are endless possibilities in this world. And for those who have believed, encourage us to this end. To ask for forgiveness in the areas where you have not allowed the lens of the gospel to lead, guide, and direct you in your life. To ask God for forgiveness for other affections that you have exalted higher than him. And begin to believe and continue to place your faith in him, believing that he can do and will do exceedingly beyond what any of us could ever think, dream, or imagine as we place our faith in him and live for him in his name. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, your mercy. Jesus, we believe. We believe that this woman was a real woman, that this girl was a real girl. Or we believe that this family, this story that we read, was a place where you actually were. People that you actually talked with. Pain that was actually relieved hope that came and forgiveness that pervaded people. Lord, we don't know anything about the future of their lives, but Lord, we know that they, they must have been greatly and drastically changed by your hand reaching out and touching and healing. Lord, would you increase our faith? Help us to believe more intensely, more intently on your power to believe in your tenderness toward us, that your power for your purposes and your glory in this world, use us. For the person who's never turned, never bowed their knee to you today, Jesus, help them to bow down before you, 
to submit their life to you and make you Lord of all. Give them the strength to live by faith in your purposes and your ways all their days. Lord, forgive us for making things, loving things more than you. Help us to see everything we do, all of our relationships through, through what you have done through the cross that we might show your compassion and your love and your kindness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, allow our lives to respond to what you've done by living in obedience as you transform the deepest parts of who we are. Lord, as we sing this song, help us not to leave quickly, but Lord, as we sing, deal with whatever you're saying that we might glorify you to the fullest not leave here running from what you've said. Be with us now as we worship, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.